1 Kings chapter 18, starting at verse 16. Obadiah went to meet Ahab and told him. Then Ahab went to meet Elijah. When Ahab saw Elijah, Ahab said to him, Is that you, destroyer of Israel? He replied, I have not destroyed Israel, but you and your father's house have, because you have abandoned the Lord's commands and followed the Baals. Now summon all Israel to meet me at Mount Carmel, along with the 450 prophets of Baal and the 400 prophets of Asherah who eat at Jezebel's table. So Ahab summoned all the Israelites and gathered the prophets at Mount Carmel. Then Elijah approached all the people and said, How long will you hesitate between two opinions? If Yahweh is God, follow him. But if Baal, follow him. But the people didn't answer him a word. Then Elijah said to the people, I am the only remaining prophet of the Lord, but Baal's prophets are 450 men. Let two bulls be given to us. They are to choose one bull for themselves, cut it in pieces and place it on the wood but not light the fire. I will prepare the other bull and place it on the wood but not light the fire. Then you call on the name of your God, and I will call on the name of Yahweh, the God who answers with fire. He is God. All the people answered, that sounds good. Then Elijah said to the prophets of Baal, since you are so numerous, choose for yourselves one bull and prepare it first. Then call on the name of your God, but don't light the fire. So they took the bull that he gave them, prepared it and called on the name of Baal from morning until noon, saying, Baal, answer us. But there was no sound. No one answered. Then they danced, hobbling around the altar they had made. At noon, Elijah mocked them. He said, shout loudly, for he's a god. Maybe he's thinking it over. Maybe he has wandered away, or maybe he's on the road. Perhaps he's sleeping and will wake up. They shouted loudly and cut themselves with knives and spears according to their custom until blood gushed over them. All afternoon they kept on raving until the offering of the evening sacrifice, but there was no sound and no one answered, no one paid attention. Then Elijah said to all the people, Come near me. So all the people approached him. Then he repaired the Lord's altar that had been torn down. Elijah took 12 stones according to the number of the tribes of the sons of Jacob to whom the word of the Lord had come, saying, Israel will be your name. And he built an altar with the stones in the name of Yahweh. Then he made a trench around the altar large enough to hold about four gallons. Next, he arranged the wood, cut up the bull and placed it on the wood. He said, fill four water pots with water and pour it on the offering to be burned and on the wood. Then he said, a second time, and they did it a second time. And then he said, a third time, and they did it a third time. So the water ran all around the altar. He even filled the trench with water. At the time for offering the evening sacrifice, Elijah, the prophet, approached the altar and said, Yahweh, God of Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, today let it be known that you are God in Israel, and I am your servant, and at your word I have done all these things. 
Answer me, Lord, answer me, so that this people will know that you, Yahweh, are God and that you have turned their hearts back. Then Yahweh's fire fell and consumed the burnt offering, the wood, the stones and the dust, and it licked up the water that was in the trench. When all the people saw it, they fell face down and said, Yahweh, he is God. Yahweh, he is God. Our second reading this afternoon uh, is on page 1112, um, and it's in James chapter 5, starting at verse 13. Is anyone among you suffering? He should pray. Is anyone cheerful? He should sing praises. Is anyone among you sick? He should call for the elders of the church, and they should pray over him after anointing him with olive oil in the name of the Lord. The prayer of faith will save the sick person, and the Lord will restore him to health. If he has committed sins, he will be forgiven. Therefore, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another, so that you may be healed. The urgent request of a righteous person is very powerful in its effect. Elijah was a man with a nature like ours, yet he prayed earnestly that it would not rain, and for three years and six months it did not rain on the land. Then he prayed again, and the sky gave rain, and the land produced its fruit. My brothers, if any among you strays from the truth and someone turns him back, let him know that whoever turns a sinner from the error of, of his way will save his life from death and cover a multitude of sins. This is the word of the Lord. Afternoon, everyone. Uh, my name's Andy. If we haven't met, um, I'm one of the pastors here at church. I normally look after the Blues Point Road congregation, and occasionally they allow me to come over here at 3.30. So it's my joy and my privilege to, to be your tour guide uh, through 1, Corinthians, uh, 1 Kings 18. Um, as LT said at the start of the service, we are doing... Uh, we are kicking off 2017 as a year of prayer, and to kick off the year of prayer... Uh, We are looking at five Old Testament prayers, and today we're looking at Elijah. So why don't I pray for us, and you pray for me, and we pray for each other that God might speak to us. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your goodness to us in giving us your word. Uh, We thank you that it is written for us. And we pray as we look at Elijah, you would help us to live our lives on our knees. Help us to be committed to prayer. Remind us this afternoon of the privilege of prayer and the power of prayer that you have given to us in Jesus. Well, my goal this afternoon, as we look at 1 Kings 18, it's on page 318 if you've turned away from it. Uh, My goal this afternoon is, as we look at this passage, is to help us walk into our weeks. A bit random, I know. I want to help us uh, walk into the office, uh, walk into the schoolyard, the uni, the Pilates class, sushi chain or the cafe, whatever you do on a Monday, Tuesday morning. Uh, My goal is that we would walk into our weeks trusting God and depending on him in prayer. Now, the context of 1 Kings 18 tells us that that is easier said than done. Um, If you don't know where we are in the Bible, uh, 1 Kings 18, we're here. Have you got the slide up there, Scott? 
So we're here, we're in the 9th century BC. Ahab is on the throne of the northern kingdom of Israel. He is the eighth in line of a bunch of rubbish kings. And Israel in the northern kingdom have had a three-year drought. It's been brought on them uh, by the pronouncement of Elijah and uh, King Ahab is trying to get rid of that drought. And the big thing that we need to know at 1 Kings 18 is that God's people have stopped trusting him and they got into bed with the Canaanite god Baal. Just have a look at verse 21 of 1 Kings 18 with me. Have a look at verse 21. Elijah the prophet said to God's people, how long will you hesitate between two opinions? If Yahweh is God, follow him. But if, but if Baal, follow him. One translator puts it more literally. He says, how long will you go on limping between two sides? Uh, God's people have got a walking problem. They're limping. It's a real vivid image in that original Hebrew. Limping between two sides, between uh, Yahweh and between Baal. Uh, they still called themselves Israelites. They identified as God's people. But when it came to the day-to-day life, when it came to their material needs, when it came to national security and their comfort, they looked to Baal. Now, if you're a Christian here this afternoon and you've got a pulse, then you will know the pull of Sydney's gods on your heart. You will know all too well the feeling of limping between two gods, between the true God Yahweh and the false gods of Sydney. And I guarantee if if you are feeling that, that will show itself in your prayer life. Corrie ten Boom famously said that prayer is often our spare tire rather than our driving wheel. Ever feel like that? Ever feel like prayer is the Brucey bonus to your life rather than the core essential? We often don't pray, do we? Because Sydney offers so much. Who needs to pray when you can exchange a little bit of plastic for a smartphone? We don't need to pray in Sydney. Uh, 1 Kings 18 is written for us to warn us about getting into bed with other gods. And it's written to show us the power, the goodness, and the trustworthiness of the one true God, Yahweh. And so be confident to pray to him, to keep praying to him, and to be dependent on him for everything that we are and everything that we need. Uh, Now, you might have noticed that 1 Kings 18 is this rather bizarre contest, a bit of a god-off like X-Factor of the 9th century BC. Uh, In the red corner, we have Baal, and in the blue corner, we have Yahweh. Now, I want us to look at this competition. I think it's the the unique thing uh, that is in the five prayers that we're looking at. And I want us to look at this competition and see two things to help us with our prayer life. And to help us trust God. Two things for us this afternoon. The first thing I want us to see is the silence of the no gods. The silence of the no gods. Uh, So verse 23, their contest is set. I love this uh, little thing. Uh, Verse 23, the contest is set. Uh, Team Baal gets the choice of bull. 
Uh, Verse 24, they are to call on their God, and Elijah is to call on Yahweh. And the God who sends fire wins. Verse 21, if Yahweh is God, follow him, but if Baal, follow him. The end of verse 24, uh, end of verse 24, we get Elijah comically taunting uh, taunting the prophets. Oh, sorry. Verse 24, we get uh, this kind of comical uh, response from the people of Israel. All the people answered, that sounds good. Uh, pretty positive, isn't it? And the reason it sounds good is that Baal, uh, the, the, the god Baal, appeared in the thunderstorms. That's what they thought. They thought that he appeared in the thunderstorms, in the lightning and in the rains for the harvest. Uh, so they thought they had this competition wrapped up. They were in Baal territory. Uh, they were in a drought. Uh, this wood was bone dry. They were up a mountain where thunderstorms hit. Surely they could rely on a bolt of lightning. This competition should be a doddle. Now it's easy as you look at, read the Old Testament and you read 1 Kings. It's easy to, to think, oh silly old Israel. Uh, trusting in their foreign Baal, those primitive people, weren't they so silly and thick? But I think in 1 Kings 18, we see just how attractive Baal is. And it rings true with us. So verse 22, we see that Baal was popular. You notice he had 450 prophets. Everyone was into Baal. Uh, We see that that Baal's prophets, Prophets were impressive. They were committed and they were sincere. Verse 26, they called on the name of Baal from morning until noon. And then verse 29, they carry on till evening. That's a 12-hour prayer meeting. We struggle to get people here for an hour. That is a 12-hour prayer meeting. They are committed and they are impressive. What's more, Baal seemed to work. Life was good under Baal. He had for years sent the rains. Life was good as a Baal worshipper. But the reason Baal is in our Bibles is to show that he was ultimately empty. Again, you see in this competition, you see the emptiness in the prophet's desperate cries. Verse 26, they say, Baal, answer us. But there was no sound. No one answered. Uh, We also see the destructiveness in the prophet's behavior. So verse 28, they shouted loudly and cut themselves with knives and spears until blood gushed over them. Pretty gruesome, isn't it? A pretty gruesome scene. That they are cutting themselves and hurting themselves, trying to manipulate the will of Baal. Really destructive, really grotesque. And we also see Baal's absence in Elijah's taunts. Look at verse 27. I love how he taunts uh, the Baal, the prophets of Baal. It reminds me of that French guy in the Monty Python film. Verse 27, shout loudly for he's, uh, shout for shout loudly for he's God. Uh, maybe he's thinking it over. Maybe he has, an orc, he, he has wandered away. Literally, that is a euphemism for going to the dunny. Uh, maybe he's on the road. Perhaps he's sleeping. And, and, we'll wake, and you'll wake him up. 
Elijah's quite a joker, isn't he? I imagine him standing on a big boulder, giving it all of this, way, come on. Um, and I picture the bald dudes desperately trying to get a lightning bolt to come down, or perhaps they're trying to sneak a magnifying glass over the wood, or, or someone sneaked a lighter into the competition. But the point is underlined by verse 29. Look at verse 29. With all of this palaver, with all of this blood and all of the shouting and the 12-hour prayer meeting, verse 29, but there was no sound. No one answered. No one paid attention. The line is busy. There is no one there. As the prophets of Baal pray for a spark on this a drought-rodden heap of wood. All there is, is silence. Silence. We're meant to think tumbleweed. No one is there. It's a pretty um, depressing picture, isn't it, for the, the prophets of Baal and for Israel, who had invested so much in following this way of life. Baal promised so much. But at the time of crisis, all Baal delivered was silence. Utterly depressing. Utterly depressing. But it's also a picture of Sydney and its idols, isn't it? It's a picture of Sydney and its idols. Uh, 1 Kings 18 is a, a great picture of Sydney and its idols, but it is not in our Bibles for us to wag the finger at unbelieving Sydney. It's in our Bibles to warn Christians, to warn God's people from getting into bed with Sydney's gods. If you're not a Christian here this afternoon, I hope you'll spend some time in 1 Kings and see what the Bible has to say about the gods that you follow, about the gods that this world follows. It's pretty blunt, pretty clear. Uh, Now, most of us will know People, if we've been a Christian for some time, we will know people who have given up on Jesus and uh, because of the, the pull of another God is just too much. But most of us, the warning that we need to hear, the temptation for us, will be for us, if you like, to top up our prayer to God with dependence on other stuff. We like to do a bit of a mix and match. Ever go into those old lolly shops where you can take one of these things and one of those things? We like to mix it up a bit. So yeah, we're happy to call ourselves Christians. But we'll call on the gods of Sydney to make stuff happen. Our kids are, um, at the minute, in the habit of making breakfast. They can't be bothered uh, to wait for us to get up out of bed at 6.30 a.m. So they're down at quarter to six making breakfast for themselves. And that's a bit like us, isn't it? We can't, often can't be bothered to wait for God to give us what we're praying for. So we do a bit of a DIY and make our breakfast, make it happen ourselves. Uh, Tim Keller, in his excellent book, he's a preacher in New York, he, in his excellent book, Counterfeit Gods, says that you can work out what your idols are, what your false gods are, by what you daydream about. It's interesting, isn't it? Uh, What is the thing that you can't live without? What is the stuff that makes you feel complete? What are you chasing after that will make your life complete? Tim Keller says, they are the gods who whisper in your ears. And let me ask you, what are the gods that whisper in your ear. 
What are the gods uh, that call you to follow them, to give up on the true God, Yahweh, to water down your trust of Jesus for these false gods? The God of materialism who promises satisfaction, the God of career who promises purpose, the God of money who promises security. I hope you'll see just how impressive uh, they, they feel and seem to, 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 to um, Israel. But also I want us to see that when crunch time comes, they will only deliver silence. They will only deliver silence and they will only be destructive as they are in 1 Kings 18. The career that destroys your family, the material possessions that only leaves you feeling empty. Uh, the quest for money that leaves you mentally ill with a breakdown. And all those gods combined in a crisis just deliver silence, especially in the biggest crisis of all, as we face the crisis of our death. The gods of this earth will not answer. They will just take. They will only deliver silence. I want us to see the silence of the no gods. Well, secondly, I want us to see the power of the known God. That's where the, the guts of this passage is, isn't it? The power of the known God. And if, you'll know, if you know anything about the Elijah story, as we hit this chapter, you kind of expect Elijah to win this competition pretty easily. In chapter 17, we've seen Elijah arm in arm with Yahweh. They've had this cool relationship. I um, They've stopped, uh, they've stopped the rain together for three years. Uh, God has miraculously supplied Elijah food. We saw that back in chapter 17. Elijah has raised, raised a woman's son from the dead by praying. And we kind of hit chapter 18 knowing that God is going to come good. Even Ahab knows uh, that God is going to come good. Did you notice that he, as he greets Elijah, he says, the look who it is, the destroyer of Israel. And Elijah himself seems so full of confidence that God is going to deliver. Verse 34, he pours enough water on the altar that it drenches the wood and the bull sacrifice and fills up the trench around it uh, to the tune of four gallons. That is 15 liters uh, to, to, the, to us. Uh, 15 liters in a trench, so much water. Uh, he is that confident. But have a look at what he does. It's, it's pretty funny. Against the backdrop of the impressive uh, Baal prophets, he prays. It's there in uh, verses 36 and 37. He prays. It's not an impressive prayer. It's not a, a long prayer. It just takes up uh, two verses. It's not a desperate prayer to a silent God. Instead, it is a confident prayer to a God who Elijah knows and the God who Elijah walks with. I want us to see four things. Uh, four things uh, f about the power of the known God. Well, uh, firstly, he knows God's promise. Verse 36. Elijah the prophet approached the altar and said, Yahweh, God of Abraham, Isaac, and Israel. Uh, Elijah knows that when Abraham came on the scene, so did a promise from God. And he knows that God keeps his words. 
He is confident that God keeps his word, that he will not let Baal reign, that he will unite his people. He will unite his people and create a people for himself. He's confident in God's promise. We talked about that uh, last week. I want to ask you, are you confident in the promises of God? Are you confident in God's promise to save those who trust Jesus? Or do you think that the gods of Sydney reign over that promise? Do you pray with God's promises ringing in your ears? That's why we need to read our Bibles. We need God's promises ringing in our ears as we go into our weeks so that we will walk solidly, not limping, uh, with Yahweh, the true God. Elijah knows God's promises. And so, second thing, he prays with purpose. Again, uh, verse 36, let it be known that you are God in Israel. He wants God to be known. And that is a challenge to us, isn't it? So often we go into the office, we go into the schoolyard, hoping that we'll just get through the day or we'll hit our targets on our annual review. But Elijah goes into this contest, wanting God to be known. Do you pray that God would be known in the schoolyard, in the Pilates class, in your office. You might often pray that God would send fire on your boss. But do you pray that your boss would know Jesus? I worked with a very scary boss a number of years ago. And I pray daily that he would know Jesus. The purpose of Christians in the office is not to send fire on their boss but to proclaim salvation for Jesus uh, to be known. I've shared before that I used to pray a prayer uh, that I picked up from John Chapman. And he used to pray, he was an evangelist back in the day, he's dead now. He used to pray, uh, pray God, uh, he used to pray, God, give me opportunities, opportunities that I could spot and opportunities that I can handle. That would be a good prayer to pray, wouldn't it? Opportunities that we could spot, opportunities that we can handle. Pray that God would be revealed. Pray with purpose. Thirdly, uh, Elijah knows his place. Uh, Let it be known that you are God in Israel and that I am your servant and that at your word I have done all these things. Elijah is completely convicted of his puny place before the cosmic God of glory. He knows that he is his slave. Uh, but what, um, what it reveals as Elijah prays this thing is a really interesting thing. I wonder whether you noticed it. It reveals that as the servants of the Almighty God pray, then God works. I wonder whether you knew that. I wonder whether you knew that as you pray... God works. That is a weird slave-master dynamic, isn't it? Often uh, we pray as though we are the master and God is our little genie that will release on the problems that we have in our life. But no, we are his slaves. We are his servants. But it is as God's people pray that God does extraordinary things. It's extraordinary and remarkable that God has set it up like that, isn't it? So that we would pray in the promises of God. That we would pray for uh, God's glory. God doesn't need us to do that. But he has set it up. 
Us puny little Sydneyites, Sydney ciders, isn't it? Us puny little humans, the king of glory, and he acts as we pray. That's the motivation to pray, isn't it? A real privilege. A real privilege to watch God at work as we speak to him in prayer. Well, uh, fourthly, Elijah is confident of God's power. As I said, um, as you read the story, the action is directed kind of like a a movie. You know that the ball is going to get nuked. I wonder whether you noticed where the real power is displayed. It's not displayed in the fire. It's not displayed in the nuking of the ball. Have a look at verse 37. Answer me, Lord, answer me, so that this people will know that you, Yahweh, are God. And that you have turned their hearts back. See, God's power is not displayed in the nuking of the bull. God's power is displayed by turning the hearts of the people back to him. See that in verse 39. When all the people saw it, they fell face down and said, Yahweh, he is God. Yahweh, he is God. They'd been ranting and raving about Baal just moments before. Verse 37 would be a good prayer to pray before you start each day. To help you to walk well. Pray that uh, the people you hang out with in your life would have their hearts turned to God. Why not pray for your hive group or your pod? Pray that the Christians that you hang out with would have hearts that never limp between two gods. Hearts that are always locked in to the king of glory, the known God. Why not pray for yourself? That you would only ever say, Yahweh, he is God, he is God. I'm conscious that at this point in a sermon series on prayer, you will be thinking, I'm not like Elijah, I'm not Elijah. And you start feeling guilty. He, uh, Elijah hang out, hung out with Jesus. He was the fire from heaven guy. And we are not like him. We are very different to Elijah. But I wonder whether you notice James uh, 5 says this, James 5 says, Elijah was a man with a nature like ours, yet he prayed earnestly. Elijah was a man just like us, and he prayed earnestly. Uh, One of my favorite prayers in the Bible is in the next chapter, 1 Kings 19. Elijah is stressed, he's on the run, he is tired, and he prays to God, kill me, God. Do you know how God answers that prayer? He gives him a good night's sleep. He gives him something to eat. And he sends an angel to keep him company. Friends, that is the God who we follow into our days. The God who answers prayer like that. Not necessarily what we ask for, but what we need. Not by sending fire down from heaven, but by giving us exactly what we need. We may not be Elijah, but God is working in exactly the same way as he worked in Elijah's day. He performs miracles that we don't even know about. He keeps dangers away from us that we are oblivious to. Uh, You may not be able to show your friends in the office or the school ground a fire from heaven, But God has sent his fire, his anger, down on a different hill. He's poured out his anger on Jesus and raised him from death to life in history 
so that we would know just how powerful God is. So that all the world would be able to say, uh, Yahweh, he is God. He is God. Why don't we pray that that might happen this week? Our Father, we are sorry for when we have limped between two gods. We are sorry for when we have uh, gone between the gods of this world and you, the true and living God. Help us to know the emptiness of those gods we easily trust in. Help us to know that they only bring silence, especially in a crisis. And would we be committed, we pray, to knowing you, the true and living God? Uh, Would we know your power? Would we know your sovereignty? Would we know your promises? And Lord, would we see you at work as we fall on our knees in prayer? What a privilege that is. And I pray, Lord, that we would uh, take that up this week, this year. Amen.